Well, I've got to tell you, I think it's interesting when you think about it, when you imagine all the ways that God and all his creativity and all his mind filled with all the things that potentially he could have done and how he could have come. And he came quiet and slow and soft and more than that. He came as a bundle of joy, swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, born a baby. Who would have thought the great and glorious and grand and holy and reverent and right and sovereign God would come as a bundle of joy? But I tell you, I think that's all about who God is. It's when you look at it, births are just times of joy. I think it was not just a baby, but the whole birth process. And God, who was full of joy, chose to be born as a baby. The whole occasion surrounding a birth is filled with joy. And I think God intended it that way. From the announcement, you know, it is a boy, it's a girl, which now you don't get when they're born. It's usually when you're looking at some screen, right? Or to the excited phone call after the birth as you kind of rapidly are calling different people or texting people or however you do it. To to showing that little bundle of joy off. Like after the service, this first one, I kept seeing one baby after another. And how filled with joy the parents are as they show their pride and joy. Even birth announcements can be rather humorous and filled with joy. Like this one, announcing prison break, fugitive. Grace Olivia Lee Pearson escaped 8.30 a.m. on December 12, 2012. Height, 21 inches. Weight, 8 pounds, 8 ounces. Hair, dark brown. Eyes, to be determined. Wanted in connection with stealing the hearts of her parents. Probably aided and abetted by big sister Isabella. Not armed, however dangerously cute. Approach at your own risk. She is reported to be a master of producing IEBs, which is another word for saying intense explosions from the bottom. Babies and the whole thing are just filled with joy. Their innocence, in a sense, draws from your heart when you look at these little ones a desire to protect them. And as you look at their big eyes and that little face, it evokes joy out of your heart. I mean, just look at little babies. Aww. And that one, that that one's particularly cute. (laughs) Bearing a resemblance. Yes. My parents were here first service and I said, do you remember that one? What was the blanket doing on top of my head? I mean, was it bald and cold or what was going on? But uh, babies are cute. They just bring a smile to your face. The whole process, the whole way that God chose to come. And I find it interesting that God would set the whole experience of Christmas up Around this whole idea of joy, from the birth to the, to the fact that there's a surprise choir of angels who scare the socks off a bunch of third shift shepherds. Think about it. In the middle of the night, out of nowhere, blazing glory, and they're filled with joy, and they're expressing it glory to God in the highest. Can you imagine what all heaven was doing? All the other angels who didn't get the assignment that night, or maybe aren't good singers, are watching and just how much joy it must have given them as they saw this incredible gift that was given to you and to me. 
Some theologians believe that God created because his heart was filled with love. But as I have been preparing and just reading and thinking about it, it may be more likely that God created because he was bursting joy. Can you imagine the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? They're sitting around one day after this just um, incredibly fun and hilarious time together. And as they're sitting together, this is just too much fun. We got we to share this with more people. We can't just ourselves experience this goodness and this love and all that we have and the joy that we have. Because that's just one of the things about joy. When you see a picture like that, you're, it evokes, it elicits a response of a smile and joy. And you want to, and I watched them, you want to turn and go, right? Joy's like that. You just have to share it. And you can't help but show it. So I want to share with you just a second. There's a there's there's a story that I want you to, to kind of watch for just a moment. There's a, a lady in our church, a family, <clears throat> Andrea McMaster. Some of you have seen her. She has done announcements up here from time to time. And she shared with us a story of joy at a time when a birth occurred and how incredibly wonderful it is to take the risk and then experience the reward of sharing the joy that God has placed in your heart. This is Channel 6 News. Let's step back to 2005. I was anchoring a morning news show in Omaha, Nebraska, and I was pregnant with our firstborn. I couldn't wait to be a mom. Little did I know, someone who was watching the show, someone who I had never met, couldn't wait for this day either. It's October 15th, and that morning, I give birth to our daughter, Erin. And the announcement is made on the 10 p.m. evening news. And she is a cutie. During my maternity leave, the TV station received a letter from a viewer named Gloria. She's a widow from a small Nebraska town who lived more than two hours away. In her letter, she shares that she has been praying for me since I first announced that I was pregnant on the news and was hoping that Aaron would be born on her 75th birthday. And guess what? That's what happened. Gloria was delighted. She went on to share in her letter that because she doesn't have any little grandchildren, that she would like to share in the joy of our daughter. At first, I was a little apprehensive to begin this relationship with a stranger, but her notes were so dear and lovely, and I could tell by her handwriting that much thought and love had gone into her words. What struck me the most was the end of the letter, a prayer for Erin, my daughter. She had been praying for Erin and I, and she didn't even know us. I replied to her letter and thought that I may not hear from this sweet woman again. But her letters kept coming, many accompanied with gifts for Aaron, and a pen pal relationship began. I'd respond back with notes about being a new mom and send pictures of Aaron. It wasn't until Aaron was 18 months old that we finally went to visit her old farmhouse. That first meeting was so special. In her porch room laid all of our letters and photos of Aaron, and Aaron took to Gloria right away, climbing up on her lap. Aaron saying, Jesus loves me to Gloria, and one of Gloria's following letters said that our visit meant the world to her. The visits continued, and we began to celebrate Gloria and Aaron's birthday together. Gloria soon made a little photo album of Aaron that she would bring with her to church meetings and share with her friends, and suddenly there became a group of women who were praying for Aaron and our family. People two hours away who hardly knew us were devoted to pray for us. There's no better word to describe this than it gave us joy and peace. 
When I watch Erin grow, when I think about this woman's prayers for our family, I often wonder the difference that it's made in Erin's life now and in the future. Erin now writes her own letters to Gloria, and as a family, we pray often for Gloria. And Erin, at a young age, would say her own short prayers for Gloria before bedtime. I hope I see you soon. Fast forward to 2010, we were given the opportunity to move back to Minnesota. Of course, Gloria didn't like to hear the news, but before our move, she came over to our home with her son and daughter-in-law, and they knelt down on our floor, laid hands on us, and prayed for protection for our move to Minnesota. It was a very special day. We haven't seen Gloria since that visit in late fall of 2010, but we're still pen pals. Our relationship with Gloria has taught us that there can be surprising joy from unexpected people and places that enrich our lives in ways that we never could imagine. And I think of Christmas and I think of the joy and I think of the fact that God, who is exploding and bursting with joy, the Godhead bringing in and, and making a way so his son would be born on this day, becoming vulnerable and weak, taking the risk to leave a world to come into this world so that we might know his goodness and joy. I just challenge you to think about this in your own life, in your own way. Where is it that God has given you good things and he has given you this sense of joy where he might ask you to kind of take the risk, to become vulnerable, to, to step out to make a difference in someone else's life, to allow God to touch their life, to be able to give that gift. Because you know what? Joy is meant to be shared. And what God has given, he desires for us to give to others. I'm reminded of this story as you read in the Christmas story all around it, where people were risking and in, in, in faith giving and in that giving, they experienced joy. It's seen in the story of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Mary, soon after the visitation of the angel, then also has this visitation where she is conceived through the Spirit of God, this baby. And, it's, and we're told that soon after that, she tells Joseph and takes a risk and shares what happens. And then she's seeking to share this joy. She wants to give this joy to someone. Who do you tell? And so it says, at that time, Mary got ready, or the message paraphrases that I like this, Mary didn't waste a minute and hurried to a town in the hill of the country, hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her aunt. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And they experienced this joy being shared with one another. When our hearts are touched with goodness, you can't help share it with others. Mark Twain had a way with words. He said, grief can take care of itself. But to get a, the full value of a joy, you must have somebody to divide it with. You ever been in those situations where you've experienced some incredible goodness, this incredible gift, and you kind of go, oh, I'm a, I can't tell anybody. See, we're meant to share. We're meant to touch the lives of other people. 
As Andrea McMaster said, our relationship with glory has taught us that there can be surprising joy from unexpected people and places. There are people that God has waiting for you to share the gift of your own joy with them. The joy of what you've experienced in relationship to God. And so I ask you to think about it. Are you willing to take the risk to share? Gloria took the risk and she wrote a note to Andrea McMaster. Andrea McMaster took a risk thinking and working through it that Gloria was the real thing. Mary took a risk, told Joseph. Good she did. Took a risk and spent time with Elizabeth. There's also another thing that comes with sharing. Not only is sharing something that you express, but there is a sense that when you experience joy and you understand his goodness, it can't help but show, right? You can't help but smile. You can't help but be expressive of it in some way. Shakespeare wrote that heaven, the treasury of everlasting joy. It's this idea that in heaven itself, where God is, it's just filled with all kinds of joy, all kinds of gladness, all kinds of songs, people and angels and beings bursting with joy. Well, I was reading a story about a man named Dr. Avon Alexander, and I had heard his story briefly on a news report. And then I was not soon after that, that Newsweek came out with an article, My Proof of Heaven. And now he's got a book called Proof of Heaven. And it's about his story of of how he had a near-death experience where he actually had an illness, and this illness was such that it put him in a coma. Well, see, Dr. Alexander is a neurosurgeon, so this is a little bit strange for this neurosurgeon. In a coma, he experienced things he said never, never that he thought possible. In fact, a journey to the afterlife. He writes, as a neurosurgeon, I did not believe in the phenomenon of near-death experiences. I grew up in a scientific world, the son of a neurosurgeon, and I followed in my father's footsteps and became became an academic neurosurgeon teaching at Harvard Medical School. You know, here's a guy who says, you know, I, I hear about these things, but we can explain them. He said, I understood what happens to the brain when people are near death, and I always believed there were good scientific explanations for every for the heavenly out of body journeys described by those who narrowly escape death. And then he goes on for a bit and he explains in language that I don't fully understand the academic explanation of why he didn't believe. But then he continues, although I considered myself a faithful Christian, I was so more in just name than an actual belief, a cultural Christian. I didn't begrudge those who, believe, who wanted to believe that Jesus was more than simply a good man who suffered at the hands of the world. And I sympathized deeply with those who wanted to believe that there was a God somewhere out there who loved us unconditionally. I envied such people the security that those beliefs no doubt provided. But as a scientist, I simply knew better than to believe that myself. That was until the fall of 2008 where according to this illness, his, um goes into a coma for seven days, and during which a part of it, his, the neocortex of his brain becomes inactive, which from a neurosurgeon will tell you that there is no consciousness at this point. But he writes, I experienced, some, I experienced something so profound that it gave me a scientific reason to believe in the consciousness after death. I know how pronouncements like mine sound to skeptics, so I'll tell my story with logic and the language of a scientist, of which I am. So he goes on, he tells a story, his adventure while he's dead. And this is what I find is interesting, because he actually 
confirms what Shakespeare poetically penned. That heaven is just full of joy. So much so that it has to be expressed. He says, higher than the clouds, immeasurably, flocks of transparent, shimmering beings arced across the sky, leaving long, streamer-like lines behind them. Birds, question mark, angels. These were words registered later when I was writing down my recollections, but neither of those words do justice to the beings themselves, which were quite simply different from anything I have known on this planet. They were more advanced, higher forms. A sound, huge and booming like a glorious chant, came down from above, and I wondered if the winged beings were producing it. Again, thinking about it later, it occurred to me that the joy of these creatures as they soared along Now catch this, was such that they had to make this noise. That if the joy didn't come out of them this way, then they would simply not otherwise be able to contain it. The sound was palpable, almost material. Now I think it's so interesting, it reminds me of so many different passages of Scripture. One of them is when the the, the Pharisees come and rebuke the disciples and, and the people in the crowd who at that day were singing Hosanna, Jesus saves, and praising Him. And Jesus says, you know what, if they are quiet and the children who are doing this are quiet, the rocks themselves will begin to start to sing. Seeing, He says, and hearing were not separate in this place where I was now. I could hear... It's kind of interesting. I could hear the visual beauty of the silvery bodies of those scintillating beings above, and I could see the surging, joyful perfection of what they sang. This place was filled with joy. As I thought about it, I thought about this passage of Scripture, which we had read. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly angels of the host appeared, and they had to explode with joy at that moment of the birth of the Son. They had to express it. And they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to whom his favor rests. Dr. Alexander writes, it took me months to come to terms with what happened to me. Not just the medical impossibility that I had been conscious during my coma, but more importantly, the things that happened during that time. And he writes these words. The universe, as I experienced it in my coma, is the same one that Jesus spoke of. And so Dr. Alexander, he just had to share this. He had to show it in his face, in his expressions. This joy had to come forth, and he started to share. And there were those who were skeptics and who really said scientifically, you must have gone off the deep end. In fact, there were some who became antagonistic and angry with him. But I find this interesting. He says, but one of the few places I didn't have trouble getting my story across was a place I'd seen fairly little of before my experience. Didn't go there a lot. It was church. He says, the first time I entered a church after my coma, I saw everything with fresh eyes. And he says there were a couple of messages that were so strong that they weren't just like words. They actually took residence in his being. They were messages that he says the Bible and Jesus spoke about. They were messages that Jesus, the reason he came and pierced through this world and took the risk to make a difference in our lives so that we could see him, was that we might know this and you might know this, the greatest gift that you could ever imagine. And those two messages were simply, you are loved and cherished dearly forever. And the other was, you have nothing to fear. 
He says at the very heart of my journey, what the Bible and the churches teaches is this. And what I experience is that we are loved and accepted unconditionally by a God even more grand and unfathomably glorious than anyone can see. This God who pierced the heavens and became a baby and as a baby grew to be a man. And on the cross, he said, I will take your sin and anything that separates you wherever you're at tonight, whatever you think about yourself, however you separate yourself from God. God says, I will make that distance. I will come to you and I want to give you my joy. I want you to live in my joy. I don't want you to live in the experiences and the circumstances and things all around you. I want to put my joy right in your heart. Jesus pierced the heavens so that we might begin to experience his joy. The joy that is just, as Shakespeare says, a treasury of joy. And I think it's interesting that God has allowed over these last few months and the last year or so, a child to go to heaven, all these different stories about heaven, because I think he's saying to us, I want you to know joy. I want you to live in it. I want you to share it. I want you to show it to people. And so he allows for Dr. Alexander to pierce from a different journey than that, that God himself took a journey into the heavens to experience to come back and say, listen, this is what he wants for us. The great gift he gives us is that God personally wants to have a relationship with you and wants to walk with you and wants to be with you and wants you to experience his joy. What an incredible gift. I think about that and I was thinking about, you know, I hear that and it's so easy to go. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's nice. I really think if you're in the midst of a situation or a place, if you remember back for some of you, maybe when you first came to an experience with God, some of you who might be in this place right now where you're you're in a place, you say, God, I need you. I want your joy more than anything in this world. And God shows up. You can't you burst forth with joy. So I started thinking about it in in our life and maybe the things that we have around us. I thought, how do people react when they're given a gift that surprises them and is so it seems to be so good. What would people do with surprising news of great joy? How would they respond? And I found this little clip, and you may be familiar with it, but I thought I'd play it because I was thinking if we really understood it, we might maybe respond like this. On this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. You've been given a gift. We're giving cars out to everybody tonight. Oh, I'm sorry. We gave them all at the first service. Uh, first one before this. You. Think about it. You're not going home to share some gifts and get excited about it. You have God, the creator The maker of all this and of you loves you and says you have nothing to fear. I am your God. I am with you. If you've never opened your heart to God, the greatest gift you can receive is unspeakable joy because sometimes you just can't even express it. And it would be my prayer for someone tonight that you would say, God, come into my heart and life.
Or God, I've been running from you. I need you. And my prayer for me and for many of us is that, you know what they were, you know what they're excited about? A seventy-dollar container of specialty popcorn, and a bunch of other gifts and a car. That when that was done, I don't even probably think many of them are driving anymore. And you have been given something that's imperishable. This is Christmas. Greatest gift. So we're going to do something because we're too Norwegian-German in this area to get that excited, right? So we're going to, we're going to all kind of very politely stand. Very good. Don't get too emotional. And now we're going to try and garner some of those emotions and ask you to sing with all your heart, Joy to the World. And bring that joy and share it with others and pierce the worlds that are around you with that joy.